Hello, everyone. Welcome to the long-awaited second episode of Turntables and Tea. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. Yeah, we apologize a bit for the delay, but um, things like illness and going out of town happened, and uh, that put us behind, but we're back and we're going to be better than ever, so... <laughs> Life has its way of trying to get us not to make podcasts, but we're here and we're finally getting it on the road again. Yes, fortunately. So this time we'll be discussing Hard Promises by Tom Petty. Oh, yeah. Yes, I had a great time doing this one. You know, I had had a lot more fun doing this one than I thought it was going to be. And and of course, we'll get into it. But I totally agree. There is so much going on behind the scenes and and inside this album i'm excited about this one yeah petty's an interesting artist i loved um looking into him again i had before of course but re-looking into him just reminded me of how interesting he is and how strong his catalog is i really enjoyed getting in deep with tom petty and the heartbreakers i'm kind of sad to be leaving their world for a bit but at least i got to spend some time in it For those who don't know, Hard Promises was the follow-up to Damn the Torpedoes, which was the breakthrough album for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. It was the album that made them superstars, huge throughout 1979 and 1980. So Hard Promises was the long-awaited follow-up. It was actually reported that it was originally supposed to be 24 songs and called Benmont's Revenge. Yes. After keyboardist Ben Montench, which is an interesting title, but I'm glad they didn't go with it. And I'm glad it's not 24 songs because they really did a good job of uh, compacting this track listing down. It's very smooth and very strong. I, I agree with you there on on the uh, pulling it down to uh, what we finalized with 10 tracks on yeah. this one. Uh, 24 on this wow i wonder if they would have been jammed out just instrumental instrumental stuff that we don't necessarily hear that much from them but thank you for bringing it down to 10 guys yeah well one of the leftover tracks did have a history of its own and we'll be talking about that one a bit today it's not on this album but you all know it anyway so but we're gonna get there we're not there quite yet but anyway we've established Super high anticipation for Hard Promises. It is released in May of 1981. And MCA Records, which was the head of Blackstreet Records, that was a subsidiary label that Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers were on, they wanted to do superstar pricing for this album and release it for the list price of $9.98 instead of the standard price of $8.98. They'd had success doing this with both Steely Dan's Gaucho and the Xanadu soundtrack. And so they figured we could do it with Tom Petty too. People will buy the album. So there were two albums released on that price point before Tom Petty put his put his dukes up on this and said, no way. Yes. I see. I did not realize that. I thought this was the first one that they were hitting. And it, it makes it more, even more of a uh, a victory for him. On, on getting it out at the 890 price. Yeah, he was not going to back down. He insisted that this album should be affordable to his fans and that MCA release it at the standard list price. And he was very vocal about it in the press. He even made the cover of Rolling Stone in the summer of 1981, primarily talking about this issue. But it did work for him. And 
Record prices didn't go up for a while after that. That was one of Petty's greatest accomplishments in his mind, for sure. And it also came off the heels of him fighting with them. It was a huge, a huge hit. And then and then to have this victory afterwards. I mean, we're sitting here in 2022 talking about a dollar. And some of our listeners might be like, I mean, whoop-de-doo, what, what giant victory. But I mean, if you look at it, uh, you could get a pack of smokes for 82 cents at that time. You could get a dozen of eggs for 97 cents at that time. I, I, I ended up looking it up. It's crazy. 50-day supply of your, your daily vitamins for a buck back then. So, I mean, these that was, that was a big deal. That was a big deal. Think of, the, you know, that's like them saying 20 bucks extra on an album right now. What a, what a great victory for him. These days, of course, we know that a gallon of gas is getting closer to costing you $8.98 or $9.98, sadly. Right. But <laughs> yeah, it was a different time, and he got the victory, and... Uh, it worked for him. His audience, for the most part, returned for this one. It wasn't quite as big as Damn the Torpedoes, but it still did well. It peaked at number five on the Billboard 200 and was certified platinum in the U.S. upon its May 1981 release. It also went gold in Australia and platinum in Canada. Jimmy Iovine, the producer of both this album and Damn the Torpedoes, he naturally returned for this one after the success of the previous project. He really loved this album and felt it was better than Damn the Torpedoes and felt it should have been an even bigger hit. It was actually a bit disappointed by the results, but it's kind of hard to see this as a failure. It was still one of Tom Petty's most successful albums. And really the disappointing album for them came after Long After Dark, which still went gold in the U.S. Tom Petty's record sales were quite consistent through the years. I mean, it was also a tough year to go against, you know, if we're going to judge it just off record sales, I mean, you had double fantasy, you had high infidelity, you had, um, I mean, you had a bunch of contenders coming. I mean, even, even Stevie Nicks got Belladonna out, which didn't hold it too long, but I mean, you know, these are, these are what you're competing for. A foreigner had four of this year, you know, there's, there's, yeah. so there's a bunch of music out right now. No, it, it was a great album. I agree with you, Veen, on that one. It was, uh, I, I think it was better than Damn the Torpedoes, but that's, that's my opinion. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to the opinions later, but it was, uh, it was surprising when I looked up the sales for this and, and where it ended up on the charts and whatnot. No, Petty was definitely in a, Crowded Landscape when it came to rock music. One album you forgot, Journey's Escape, that was a huge one too. I mean, True. Don't Stop Believing's on that album. I don't have to say much more. True. I don't like this one as much as Damn the Torpedoes, but here's a Tom Petty hot tea take. This one's going to be unpopular with Petty fans. I think this is the second best of all of the albums right behind Damn the Torpedoes. I know a lot of people freak out over Full Moon Fever and Wildflowers, and Full Moon Fever's great. Wildflowers is overrated. That's my hot tea take. Come at me. I, hey, I'll be with you on that. I, even living inside when Wildflowers was jamming, you know, on the radio and whatnot, I thought it was overrated. And I, and I love Petty. I get down Petty. I never hated on this sound, but it just wasn't... I just always felt like it didn't live up to what I had always looked at him uh, and the boys as musicians. We agree on that hot take. Okay. 
Many others don't, though. I'll, I wonder if we'll get any angry messages, but it's still a good album, but it's not as good as you all make it out to be. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I'm not sorry. That's that's the beauty of the music community. Bring all of the uh, opinions together and we'll laugh and drink and talk about them all night long. Yes, we will. And with that being said, I'm ready to get started talking about Hard Promises by beginning with track number one, The Waiting. Oh, you know, well, before we jump in, oh. it was something that you brought to my attention. I think it's something that's really cool to uh, share with our listeners that might not be super familiar with the time or super familiar with the album, but them planning on being in the same studio as Lennon and then that not happening um and then also etching we love you jl in the in the run out dead wax i think is is something that i literally have goosebumps saying it out loud but it's something that i had never seen before so thank you for sharing that one with me because that was a uh, that was a deep cut take there that i had no idea ever happened yeah i thought it was really cool that they did that because obviously the beatles influenced petty and his guys and uh, it's funny hearing that, Paul. I saw Paul McCartney this past weekend, and at one point he did a virtual duet with John Lennon of I've Got a Feeling from Let It Be. That was a highlight of the show for me, for sure. That's one of my favorite Beatles songs. So We'll talk about that after the podcast, because I did not know that even happened, and you must give me the details on that. But are you serious? All right, go on. I oh, will tell on. you, I promise. Yeah. Yes, with that all being said... I'm ready to get started with this album. Track number one is The Waiting. This was the big hit off the album. Another excellent book I didn't get to read the whole thing of, but I looked up the section on Hard Promises. It's called Conversations with Tom Petty, where Petty is interviewed about his life and career. And he gave a lot of great insight on the creation of these songs. I found it very illuminating and it helped me put it all together a bit more that's cool because i have some questions you know me i like to try to get into the the mind of the songwriter whether it be something that we can fully flesh out or whether it just be random thoughts inside and i did my digging as well but i'd like to hear to hear what you got on this because it's a very narrative album it's a very storytelling album it doesn't leave much to the imagination so to speak uh, lyrical wise. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to hear what you got on that. So Todd Petty said that he got it from the Janis Joplin quote, I love being on stage. Everything else is just waiting. Oh, wow. Wow. That's amazing. Heard but that. Roger McGuinn of the birds swears he said it to Tom Petty, but Petty thinks it was probably Joplin who inspired this one. And Tom first came up with the chorus for this track, which of course is killer because this is a song everybody knows. However, he spent weeks writing around that chorus trying to get a cohesive song together. Because the cadence on the song is different than a lot of the popular cadences or rhythms, uh, especially the way he does a three take going into um, the end of each verse into the bridge. Uh, it's it's pretty wild to hear that he was writing around that. And and the waiting is the hardest part is them talking about being on stage. That's amazing, amazing and glorious. 
Well, I don't think the song is about that, but it but was yeah, inspired that line. by yeah. that. Because uh, this is a love song, of course, but it's a damn good love song. And it was the first single from the album. This song went to 19 on the Hot 100 and number one on the rock charts for six weeks throughout the summer of 81. Jimmy Iovine thought this song was better than Refugee and was disappointed it wasn't even bigger. I don't know. That's a tough call to make because Refugee's Refugee. Come on. But this has definitely remained a classic rock radio staple, and it is naturally the most covered song on the album. The one cover I really wanted to discuss came in 1995 by California country rock legend Linda Ronstadt for her album Feels Like Home. She countrified this song and even performed it on David Letterman and... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. She killed it, I thought. I thought it was a fantastic version. And Linda Ronstadt was supreme at singing this kind of music. It's sad that she no longer can sing because of medical illnesses similar to Parkinson's. I'm not remembering the name of it right now, sadly, but she can no longer sing. But she did a great job with The Waiting. And it was a nice return to her roots, too, because she'd spent over a decade not doing country rock. Neat. It was it was such a neat performance. And again, want to thank you for, for passing through to me. And such a big band behind her, too, to perform uh, like that. It was really, really well done. Yeah, Leatherman got some big bands on his show because he had, you had Paul Schaefer's band. That's true, too. That's true. You had all and, those players sitting there ready to go. Yeah. There's some great Leatherman performances out there. There's actually a great one of Ron Statt with Dolly Parton and Emmylou Harris all singing After the Gold Rush together. I heard that. It's amazing. If you haven't seen that, look it up. It's fantastic. I like it. So The Waiting was going to be a hard single to follow, but they did it with track number two on the album, A Woman in Love, It's Not Me. This was co-written with guitarist Mike Campbell. And it was the second single on the album. I think the song's title kind of explains what it's about. It does indeed. It does indeed. In my opinion, it has a it has something to work against right off the bat because the original or the starting note or the starting rift is so similar to the solo in Waiting. It almost takes me right back to Waiting um, when it starts. But this song, man, you want to talk about a narrative musical piece. All of the sad remembrances uh, while he's talking about the relationship, just a, you know, a snare tap and a hi-hat really makes you listen to it. And then they come, you know, they come through and smack you in the face with with the the bridge. It, It was, it's a phenomenal song. I completely agree. But sadly, not everybody got to hear it. It only peaked at 79 on the Hot 100, which is a chart travesty, one of many over the years, but this is one of the biggest I can think of. But the reason it didn't do well was because 
the Heartbreakers were competing with themselves because at the same time this song was released as a single, the lead single off of Stevie Nicks' Belladonna, Stop Dragging My Heart Around, was released and uh, went all the way up to number three on the charts. However, two Tom Petty songs were not going to be played on the radio at once at this time. So the Stevie duet won out, as we all know. In fact, wow. Stop Dragging My Heart Around charted higher than any Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers song ever. Of all of them, that's the highest charting. So how, how deep do we want to go down this road right now? Because Insider, correct? Insider went to her first and then came back, whether it was him bringing it back or her bringing it back. Am I correct about this? Well, he took it for himself, but she still wanted the song. Got you. And then, so they end up giving her dragging dragging my heart, my yeah, heart dragging around. my heart around and it blows up. And, and, and I, I, I didn't think we'd get to the Knicks side of the story until insider, but I mean, her being so groupie ish and, and not, I'm not even, I'm not even trashing her on this because she was, you know, out there telling people like, here's the deal. If Tom Petty asked me and I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this, but it's very quote to close to her quote unquote. If Tom Petty asked me to be in Tom Petty and Heartbreakers, I'd leave Fleetwood Mac. And even though this was after rumors and 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 we're here in 81, uh, she was all around them all the time. I mean, she was dating Iovine at this point, right? If they if she was releasing Belladonna. You're absolutely right. And she chose Jimmy Iovine as the producer for Belladonna because she wanted to get as close to the sound of the Heartbreakers as possible. There might even have been a quote, and I don't want to misquote her, but I'm almost positive Rolling Stones wrote that she had said to Iovine, I want to be Tom Petty of 1979 or whenever they started working together. Or, you know, she wa- oh, the girl Tom Petty, that's what it was. I would love to be the girl Tom Petty of 1979, uh, I believe is the quote. Uh, even if I'm paraphrasing, she, she was enamored with him, with his sound, um and, and the heartbreakers you know with their sound and and it shows and of course we'll we'll get back and, and jam on that when we get to insider but i i thought it was wild to see how much of a groovy she was and then oh man there's so much that goes into this for my thought process on this album because i'm trying to decipher where this in my in my opinion this is a love album you know this, this is this story is almost not repeated but just worked on throughout the album all the way until you can still change your mind. So I started digging him and was like, who is his girlfriend at this time? Or where's Tom Petty? And meanwhile, he's in love with his high school sweetheart. Yes, he and, was married to and happily Jane married. Yeah, He wasn't eventually time. happily married. We're gonna... No, no, that's true. That's true. But then I thought, well, you know, Stevie Nicks. Sorry, Stevie, I'm going to say this. You know, she she's in there with her claws in something. She's she's notorious for being a lover. And I, I was like, man, you know, she's on the album. But that wasn't the case. She was actually a great friend with or became a great friend with his wife because the band was sort of like, hey, you know, we're not starstruck over here. You know, we're you can be around. You could be with Yavine. You can chill. And I believe this is Petty's own words in the biography where he said it wasn't until she became friends with my wife that I saw how good and true she was and then I was like all right I'll start working 
Yeah, for better or for worse, Stevie Nicks was very good friends with Jane Petty. The worst part comes in the fact that they both did cocaine all the time together because, well, if you were friends with Stevie Nicks in 1981, that was kind of part of the equation. Ben Montenci even said at one point, it was when I went on tour with Stevie Nicks that I really saw how much cocaine was available. She was quite notorious for using the drug, as we all know, but fortunately she doesn't anymore. Don't snort coke, kids. Bad idea. There you go. There you go. Now on to the next track, one of my favorites on this album, Night Watchmen. You like the Night Watchmen, huh? I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, you go, go. I'd love to hear your take on this. This has always been one of my favorites on here, and I kind of just always loved the groove of it. I didn't really put that much thought into the lyrics, but when I really listened to it, I thought, you know, he's really singing about a security guard. There's no other way to interpret the song. (laughs) And in the Conversations with Tom Petty book, Petty said that he wrote the song from what he felt would be the perspective of a night watchman that watched him out, that kept guard of his home. That's Because at that point, Petty was famous enough, he needed a security guard at night with a gun. And uh, Petty was pretty sure that that inspired this song. And Petty just kind of thought it was crazy he had one of these guys outside his house, but he was famous enough to do so. Yeah, I, it, it is that song. It's that night song. I mean, even in my notes, I had perfect night strut riff from the guitar, the early staccato picking in, in the in the original riff that goes throughout and that just two half note bass. It's like that late 70s sneaking Sally through the alley vibe and you're automatically at least just moving your shoulders, you know, you're, you're right there with it. And then this is the first track on the album, if I'm correct where that slide dobro sound uh, that they use a lot after this on the album came out. And and it's one of my favorite sounds from them. Yeah, I just thought to myself, this song's kind of funky, actually. And I love that you don't normally put funky and Tom Petty in the same sentence. But in this case, Tom Petty was funky. I totally agree with you. Couldn't say it better. Tom Petty was funky in this one. And... uh, What I find interesting about this is that even though this song was admittedly based on Petty's celebrity life because he had a night watchman, he's writing the song that relates to the everyday American, which was a thing that he was so good at. He was definitely a part of the heartland rock genre, along with Springsteen and Seeger. They wrote the songs for the working man and security guards are working men. And to have a song from that perspective just kind of solidifies Petty's everyday ethos, I think. Uh, yeah, what a, what a great thought. I mean, and, and even this album, this album's every man message with, with the price hike war. Great yeah. thought. And speaking of that, I have another hot tea take. This is one I'm curious to hear. I'll take Petty over Springsteen any day. Yeah, I will. And, and, We'll, we'll probably end up doing some Springsteen along the way. Um, it's possible. They, they, sp- don't get me wrong. Uh, the boss, get down, do your thing. Beautiful, beautiful band. But I, if, if I had to have gotten to the head, 
take one, I'd take Petty over, over Springsteen. Oh, I would in a heartbeat. We'll talk more about Springsteen at another day. I have quite a few opinions on the guy, but this isn't the Springsteen episode, but I'm sure he'll <laughs> come up at some point. Sorry, Aunt Carrie, I know you are probably listening and that's your guy, but I'll take Petty any day. <laughs> and speaking of story songs, the next one I really want to hear what you think of, because this was kind of the most unique story on the album and the one that confused me a little bit, actually. Petty doesn't usually confuse in his lyrics, but this one actually got me something big. For me, I and I'd love to know because you got the inside track and you know what, what the songs are, what he said these songs are about. I loved it. It's so laid back. It's the first time we hear just a real acoustic guitar sound on the album. You know, we have acoustic slap drums and really nice drawn out harpsichords, like church organ type feel, almost a gospel type uh, thought in, in the back of it as far as the keys are going. Um, so what is the real take? What's the what's the real take on the old something big meaning? This is an intense story. It involves drugs and violence. What I was confused about was Speedball's ending because he does die in the song at the motel. What confused you? I thought it was, I thought Speedball OD'd. But how did he die? Or, or do you know? Not officially. I thought, I assumed that Speedball, because of his name, had a drug overdose and died. But an online interpretation I read of the song, the only one I could find, said that Speedball was murdered. Oh, now I got to go back and listen. Do, they, do you have the, the lyrics on the end in front of you? I can pull them up, certainly. No, no worries. I, I'm curious. I'll go back and listen as well, but that's cool. That, that's, there you go. In, we, we see this a lot. And this is uh, what I started to say earlier in the podcast is, you know, um, I didn't expect something super narrative where we always think we might know what this means, might know what that means. Uh, and it wasn't too confusing. But here I've missed the mark on the last three uh, as far as what, what you've bestowed, the knowledge you've bestowed from the biography. Um, it's cool. It's cool. That's, that's the beauty of music. Yeah. But interestingly, when Iavine was asked about this song in the biography, he was asked, what did you think of these story songs? And Iavine said, that's the Dylan thing. He said Petty was inspired by Dylan doing songs like this and Night Watchman and another one later on the album. What do you think of that? I didn't get Dylan vibes from this. I know they worked together later on, but... You talking about Iovine worked with Dylan later or no, Tom Petty? Did. Oh yeah, of course. I, I think that's depending on when, dependent on when Iovine said this, I think that's a tough thing to say about your artist because there was always that line drawn between them, whether it just be about their nasal approach to singing or the way it comes across. Everybody was always like, ah, Dylan Petty, Dylan Petty, you know? Uh, I think that's strange for him to say. I don't think, no, I I, I didn't get any Dylan vibes from, yeah. from this, surprisingly. But no, I didn't. I think that's a strange thing to say about one of your artists. artists he said that, he said this over 30 years later. Okay, oh, I don't know, man. I still don't I guess. see it. And also, I want to take an opportunity to say, I know Petty's voice has gotten some criticism. Yeah. 
I love Tom Petty's voice. I think it has so much character and there's a lot of character in it on something big you can hear. And I don't think that he should be put vo vocally wise in the same category as Dylan. I think Dylan has a more obnoxious voice at times, not on all his songs, but I mean, Maggie's farm. No, I, I'm with you. And that's where people always drew that line, you know, in, in, in the, oh, they sound the same. That's why I was surprised to hear I've been say that. No, they do not sound the same. Dylan's voice turned me off for quite a while. Petty's voice never did. So I, I think that's a stretch to say, but. I agree, especially in this song here. Yes. And uh, the end of side one is up next, which is a more upbeat tune after something big. King's Road. This was inspired by Tom Petty visiting King's Road in London. I had to look this up because I felt like this song really evoked the sense of nostalgia. I thought, is this about his childhood? It wasn't at all. It was just about a bohemian style street where people dressed funky because that's what people did in London. Yeah, back Ex in the day. I mean, especially there, you know, right running from Chelsea to Fulham. Um, do you know? I'm I'm curious. Do you know what year he visited? How old he was when he visited? So he first visited around 76, 77. I know that because the Heartbreakers weren't really gaining traction with the first album in America, but it was more successful in the UK and they were stars there. I believe that is the first time Petty went to London. It's cool because I wasn't sure if this was an anecdotal uh, song or if it was just a, let me think about what a country boy in the middle of, of King's Road would feel like. For, for anyone who's listening that is not familiar with the scene of King's Road um, in the 60s to to the 70s, probably by 81, it was on its decline, or I shouldn't say decline, but moving towards being gentrified a little more than it was. But it was like, it was a huge epicenter of the modders uh, in England and the mod scene. And it was also akin to like a hate Ashbury kind of, of place. So you can imagine Tom Petty in the middle of King's Road being like, holy moly, what's going on? Uh, you know, an old world boy in the new King, or uh, what's the actual refrain from this? The old world old, boy? Old town boy on, no, on new the, town boy on the old King's Road. Old King's Road, that's what it is. That's what it is. You know, he, he's... He's almost lost up in everything that's going around him. I, I enjoyed this. I had to look it up too, uh, yeah. just to, to make sure what the King's Road was. And it was it was such a neat one. It's a, it's a super fun and tight song, especially for the uh, end of side one. And it, like, it's a great poppy number five. It's got a bunch of build-up crescendos. It's like a bunch of whole band, like drum powered sounds. I put in my uh, notes, it would be like an ultimate either second set ender or just like an insane encore song, uh, the way it's set up. Yes. And I would have to say, if you like this song, definitely check out the 1982 performance of it from the U.S. Festival. This song is extended to over six minutes long. Oh, I can see it. I could see, You can hear it on the album, just the drums, the whole band, but like it could go for a million years you know <laughs> yeah, that's awesome petty was jumping around that stage it was quite a shock for me to see because i was fortunate enough to see tom petty on what sadly ended up being his final tour 
And at that point, he was in terrible pain. He was not jumping up on the stage like he was in 1982. He was not that wild man. But you don't think of Tom Petty being a wild man on stage. But in this performance, he really was. Not at all. And and, uh, I'll go one step further and say I didn't think... I would hear such a wild song. It's 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 wild take all the way around for him, in my opinion. Really love this song. Before we move on from King's Road, once I found out the basis of it all, in a throwback to our previous podcasts, I thought I'm sure Sonny and Cher went down the old King's Road in 1965. Oh, you know they did. I, I you know what? It's so funny because when I was talking about looking this up, I didn't really look up images. I didn't actually look up images at all. I Wikipedia King's Road and then was like, oh, I, I literally thought it was just a little road in England. I knew where it was and I had kn- known uh, people talking about it. That's actually where, I can't remember what song it was. I think it was Zeppelin, but the Chelsea Drug Store, uh, that's where that was on King's Road. I'm almost positive that's in a Zeppelin song. Now I'm going off on a tangent, but uh, you know they were. It was it was that kind of scene. It was that kind of electric mod, bright, uh, bright clothes, bright sounds, bright people scene. You know. Yes, perfect for Sonny and Cher mid sixties, and they were first popular in England before America. So I'm sure they went down this old road. Oh shit! They they they. Might as well name the King and Queens Road with them coming down. You know? That that's real. That's real. They they probably had a blast up on there. That's that's one to check out. That's one to look up. Definitely. But sadly, we're leaving the old King's Road and flipping over the side too, which begins with "Letting You Go." This is a much more acoustic, mellow song to open outside too. I like this one. It's not one of my top favorites on the album, but I think it's a pretty song and. In the conversations with Tom Petty book, yeah, that wasn't the immediate vibe I got. I didn't really get fifties rock and roll from this. No, and I and now I'll go back and listen to it again with that thought in mind. But my notes on this is, if I had a gun to my head, this is and I or like I had to pick a least favorite. This is my least favorite of of the album. Now, knowing. And I should have looked into this, but knowing that it's the first side on our first song on side B, I can see it a little bit better. Um, but whew, man, coming out of King's Road and then going straight into this, it's it's not the song I would have picked coming out of there. But on side B, I can understand that. It's it's nice. It's a good song. This whole album, like it was so tough to be critical on this album, or at least you know try to pick apart things that you had never thought of before because most of these songs you've heard a million times. This is one one of the ones I hadn't. Um, and, and it's not the reason why it's my least favorite, but it just falls, it falls flatter than any other song on the album, in my opinion. Yeah, this is, if I had to pick, this is my second least favorite, not quite my least favorite, but heard, we'll get to that. Heard that. But yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say about this song lyrically. It's kind of a, breakup song a bit it's perfectly nice it's a perfectly nice tune i like how it was placed on the album it's not one of my top petty favorites but there's nothing wrong with it even a filler tom petty song is better than a lot of other songs out there in my opinion agreed agreed but you know it's it no you're good it's sandwiched into or you know in between king's road and then into our next song which you were just about to talk about Yes, I was. A thing about you. 
This is a rocker. This is okay. a fun tune. I think it's a bit redundant lyrically. That's my only criticism of it, but it's really about the sound of it. It's a super upbeat, fun love song. I have a great time hearing it. And uh, it was mentioned in the Conversations book that Mike Campbell especially loved the guitar interplay on it. Heard. The writer Paul Zolo even compared it to the Rolling Stones, which I can hear that on this track for sure. I enjoy this one. It's a fun tune. Yeah, I. This it's fun all the way around. Like one of the words I wrote in my notes, hoedown. It reminds me of a country dance. Uh, and I can feel the love for the guitar pieces because they scream. And another note I had in there is, is the guitar solo scream like fiddles. Uh, and I so that's why I can see the redundancy of the uh, the lyrics because it was that sort of like grab your partner do si do kind of feeling for me. Um, it's it's definitely a huge crescendo from where we were, you know, at letting you go and a, a super super fun part. Uh, the only thing is the last thirty seconds of the song is like the weirdest production choice ever. Like you go and ho down ho down ho down, and you're thinking you're creeping out the back door, and then it's like. 30 seconds of almost silence and then like little it just felt like a half thought at the end of the song it doesn't take away from the song at all but it definitely doesn't add to the song i know what you're saying and it's nice that you mentioned the hoedown aspect of this song because you weren't the only one who heard it this was a country hit in 1985 <laughs> for the band southern pacific a not very well remembered 80s country band but this was a duet with Emmy Lou Harris, who's somebody who's been everywhere. There's no other way to say it. And it's a fun duet. Emmy Lou Harris has a fantastic voice. And Petty was asked about this version. He said he liked hearing the country spin on it and that Emmy Lou Harris was great. It was awesome hearing her sing one of his songs. The one thing I will say about the cover is I do like it, but Southern Pacific is definitely not as strong of a band as the heartbreakers no, of, of course not <laughs> so uh, in that sense that that song really pales but this song actually works well as a duet i, I mean I, hearing that version it made me want to hear stevie nicks hop on the original recording <laughs> or have had them do a live version of it that would have been awesome it's definitely another one that i immediately was like oh they gotta play this live you know they they have to have rocked it live but then again, I'm not sure if they ever did. Yeah, I haven't seen it on any of the live albums that have been released. <laughs> Even some of the deeper cuts have been Night Watchmen and King's Road have been put on live albums and box sets. <laughs> and The Woman in Love, too, and obviously The Waiting, but not everything here. One of the songs that was done live several times is track number eight, a track we mentioned earlier. The song that gave this album its title, Hard Promises, Insider, the duet with Stevie Nicks. As we said earlier, Stevie Nicks was a Tom Petty groupie and needed a song from him. And he came up with Insider. They recorded it together with him singing the lead. Petty loved the song and said, I'm sorry, Stevie, I'm keeping it. And of course, he ended up giving her Stop Dragging My Heart Around, which worked pretty well for her, as we all know. So this is the more forgotten Petty Stevie Nicks collaboration of 1981, but it shouldn't be 
I love this song. This is one of the very best Petty songs ever. Just a beautiful heartbreak tune. Their voices just go together so beautifully. Of course, Stevie Nicks is a great harmony singer. She had a lot of practice with that in Fleetwood Mac by this point. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And you hear all those skills on it. And uh, first thing I wanted to say was I once requested this song for my friend's radio show when I was in college in 2018, just because it's an awesome song. I had to do it. It's, it's so great. It's so great. And it led the MTV revolution because it was one of the earlier um, videos to, to come through too. And watching the videos or watching that video, you can see the, chemistry but you can also see the uh reverence or the respect uh or even the fangirlishness that stevie has for him she's she's hanging on him as every note and watching him literally watching him for for vocal cues and whatnot not that he's watching her but she's watching him um if you played this song for me and i didn't know who was doing it I would say that they were a natural duet um, and their band would. This song also kind of really, I've always loved Stevie Nicks, but this kind of reignited my flame for her a bit, which I appreciated. I've fallen off of her a bit lately for personal reasons because people sometimes like the Taint songs and I'm not too crazy about that, but we're not going to go into that because that's not what we do here. That's tea for another time. It is tea for another time. And I don't know if people are ready for those hot takes. If the wrong <laughs> person's listening, they will not be ready for it. But we will get there to people who kind of ruined Stevie Nicks for me for a bit. We will get there. Oh, you know we're going to do some Stevie stuff. So. <laughs> oh, yes, we will. But this just was a reminder of what a gifted vocalist she is on both duets end as a solo that voice just cuts through like a knife it's this is a perfect song in my opinion and Petty said the main reason it wasn't a single was it wasn't even considered because at the time his record company didn't want him releasing ballads as singles Petty actually didn't release a ballad as a single until Free Fallen in 1989, which is crazy to think about because, of course, that was his biggest solo chart hit ever. So, yes, <laughs> ballads have a point in Tom Petty catalog, and we could have done something earlier, maybe, maybe have put this out so more people know it. That's surprising. I, I guarantee, no, I, I shouldn't guarantee because I'll have to look back and I don't have it in front of me, but. There's got to be ballads all over the 81 Billboard 100. Got to be. Oh, there gotta are. Be. This was the year of the corporate rock takeover. The highest selling album of the year was High Infidelity by REO Speedwagon. Two power ballads are on that album. That has Take It On The Run and Keep On Loving You. Foreigner's Forehead, Waiting For A Girl Like You. Journey Had Open Arms. Yes, this is a power ballad year. 
it was just decided that wasn't right for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And uh, it, yeah, I guess I can see that. You in know? a way, I can see that. But apparently it was okay for Stevie Nicks because the second single from Belladonna was Lever and Lace. Yeah, but think about think about the clout that she has coming off of Fleetwood Mac compared to Heartbreakers, even though Damn Them Torpedoes was such a hit they might have thought that she could take on those big boys in that market i'm just i'm just hypothetical where tom might the tom petty and the heartbreakers might not have made their way or been muddled immediately in that scene oh no damn the torpedoes didn't even end up being the biggest petty album that came quite a bit later and they never had anything sell as much as rumors fleetwood mac were permanent a-listers because of that obviously oh yeah but I will say, of course, I couldn't help but think, you know, I, of course, Stevie Nicks wanted to work with Tom Petty. Who wants to work with Lindsey Buckingham? Great musician, but <laughs> I know that. they dated and there's tension because of that, but he's kind of an asshole big time, actually. Lots of respect for the guy as a musician, but not the nicest guy out there. Very known to be difficult to work with, uh, very single-minded in his vision. And sometimes his vision is brilliant, but not always. Heard that. Heard that. But that's a tangent. Of course, she liked working with Tom Petty more than Lindsey Buckingham. He was much easier to work with by just about every account imaginable. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine. Uh, he's he's a proud dude from what I can take from him, Tom Petty. But and he knows actually. I won't say proud. Matter of fact, it seems from everything I've I've read and and everything I've listened to interview wise, he's very matter of fact, and almost taken aback by people that aren't. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, that's got to be easy to work with because all the cards are on the table. No, he was definitely a very direct and not a phony. It seemed like, which is definitely appreciated. One of the many reasons we miss Tom Petty. Exactly. Of course. And now we're on to the second to last track on the album, The Criminal Kind. This is my least favorite on them. I just thought this was a filler track, but it does have a great inspiration. Petty, when he was interviewed about the song, he even said, oh, that's a filler. Yeah. Yeah, but Paul Zolo mentioned the lyrics and Petty said it was inspired by the return of Vietnam veterans to the United States and how they were not treated nicely. Veteran hospitals wouldn't care for them. They were treated like the criminal kind. And that's what this song was inspired by. That made me respect the song, even if it's not one I really go out of my way to listen to, because that was a very real issue, probably still going on into 81. I wasn't alive then. But I do know that was a big thing in the 1970s, and it caused a lot of division in the military and the country. That's a wild mindset to go back and listen to this song because I, I, I had made this song by like the fourth time of listening to it in, in one day. I had made it this beautiful love story uh, that had, I mean, even Night Watchman, I had interpreted as sort of like this creepy sort of uh, voyeuristic vibe. But when we're down here in Criminal Kind, it was still an angry, uh, an angry shout at to an old lover. Again, music, man. It can, it can, you can think whatever you want for it. I mean, that kind, that interpretation does work really well too. 
which is the beauty of music. That is very true. And this was one of the songs that Iavine felt had the Dylan influence. If there's any song here that has it, it is this song, I think. I'll, I'll actually give him on this one. I'll give him that on this one. It definitely did. It... On this one. I don't, Not so much the other two, but this one definitely, because Dylan did write songs in response to war. That was a topic for him. This was definitely in the Dylan vein more than anything on this album. I'll give Iavine that one. I'm with you. Yep. And now we are on to the final track. You can still change your mind. Patty said that this was mostly the work of guitarist Mike Campbell. And Tom referred to it as Mike's tribute to Brian Wilson. No shit. It's it's my, like my literal notes are perfect ending for the hashtag. I mean, for the quote unquote story of this album felt like a final plea to the girl we've been watching throughout the album. <laughs> so it's just those wild takes when you're listening through. Yeah. And Stevie Nicks is once again on backing vocals on this song very prominently. Once again, beautiful. She has quite a few beautiful, distinct backing vocal parts that elevate whole songs. And this is one of them. This oh. is... This one gives me chills. It's just a beautiful, perfect album closer. And with the Beach Boys thing being mentioned, I do kind of hear it. I feel like this was maybe inspired by like God Only Knows sound-wise. Yeah. And not many better songs to take a note from than that song. That's one of the best Beach Boys songs. Of course, they have multiple classics. Agreed. But as does Tom Petty. And this is definitely a song that was kind of an evolution from Damn the Torpedoes. There was nothing like this on that album at all. This was a bit of an evolution sound-wise from that, which I appreciated. It was Petty doing something new, and it's just a beautiful song. Yeah, as you found out uh, in our last podcast, sometimes I don't necessarily vibe with the trailing off sad song at uh, for for a final for a tenor for a final period uh i think this one worked awesome um iovine uh, is, is showing himself here i think the question i have is for him unless it was a piece that i tom petty was like i can't do without i you know what is the sound at the start of this this song like why why do this like for no reason it, it the song without that could clearly start on a beautiful piece you didn't need that that ear cleansing sound or whatever you know it, they want to say it is I, it didn't make sense to me it made no sense i agree with that completely yeah that part threw me off a bit i hadn't heard this song in a while i was kind of like what is yeah i was like what is this at first that sound doesn't relate to anything else. Like I thought maybe if they brought it back and I was like, oh yeah, it's got to come back through. No, it, it's just, it's one of them ones that it doesn't add, doesn't take away. It just makes me say, what, what? We, we listened to that before you put it on wax and you were like, oh, hell yeah. Keep in the because that's going to bring everybody in. Like, <laughs> I just I wasn't with that one. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I hate but. And there we have Hard Promises. What grade do you give this album? I'm bringing it in on an A. I'm bringing same, it in on an A. Save here. That's, I can, too, 
Yeah, it's two weeks in a row we matched. Um, it doesn't get an A minus. It doesn't get an A plus. But gosh darn, you know, if I just start at it musically, like musicianship and and the way it was written and produced, right there at A. Uh, you know, the way it is put together and stacked on this album. Uh, you know, the sequence of it, right there at an A. It's just a solid album. Great listen. If anybody has made it through this far with us this week and has not listened to this album. One, I hope we've piqued your interest, but two, take take the time right now to add it to your playlist. It's a good one. Definitely. And sadly, not one of the petty albums included on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums list. This one should have been instead of Wildflowers or even Full Moon Fever, like yeah. I said earlier. Yeah, I'm with you on the Wildflowers. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be canceled for that, but we'll, <laughs> we'll take it to our graves. Wildflowers is overrated. You heard it here. You definitely didn't hear it here first, but you heard it here on Turntables and Tea because we're standing behind it. Yes, yes, we are. I am not backing down on that one. I will go to my grave saying wildflowers is overrated. There you go. There you go. We'll go to my grave saying it. <laughs> Favorite song on the album. Whoo, you know what? I'm surprised I didn't have it ready. Uh, King's Road. Yeah, you know, just I'm glad I didn't have it ready. King's Road all the That's way. Perfect. It's for me, Woman in Love. Actually, this was the hot take I forgot to give earlier. Right. I think Woman in Love should have been the first single instead of the waiting and the album opener. I just love how that song builds. It goes from soft in the verses to that bombastic chorus. It's just perfect. I wish it was the first single. Uh, the bridge in the middle of it too is such an epic, beautiful bridge. I didn't say it earlier, but I've got a note here that I just, I picture a montage of like a happy and sad scenes from a relationship uh, inside of it. Again, um, maybe I got to take this one to therapy, I guess, because, you know, <laughs> this is a, it's like a bad breakup album or a friend or a dude in the friend zone album is what it felt like to me. Um, but I, I agree with you. Great. Great song. Great song. Yeah. But Insider's definitely a close second for me. Can't go wrong with that one either. Oh, yeah. Just yep. hits you. And they, you know. Honorable mentions got to go to Night Watchman for that funkiness. Tom Petty, you got some funk in your trunk on this one and, and let it all hang out. I enjoyed that so much. Yeah. And that's all I think we have to say for Hard Promises. I really love doing this one and going into Heartbreaker Land for a couple of weeks. I'm a little sad to be leaving it. I think Petty needs to come back on this. I guess not immediately, but a few months from now, we need to talk about him again because he said so much about all of his songs yeah we just have so much to work with because he was so open about all of it and he was the man he's gonna have to make a comeback here at some point down the road i'm afraid because there's just I, so much to discuss with petty i think uh, don't don't be afraid of that i uh we got to get him one more positive before we just go into the inevitable uh episode of turntables and tea where we do why wallflowers is so overrated that that's gotta happen at this point now <laughs> you know now our, I've our, said it. our opinion will be heard and that's just how it's gonna go from here on out what do we got next week we got moving pictures right yes moving pictures i know the two big hits off of the album 
but I've never heard the whole thing. Oh, dig it. All right. Wow. Oof. Ladies and gentlemen, you have no idea what kind of beautiful. Oh, my gosh. Oh. I, I cannot wait. You've no, never I'm heard excited. This, this might be the first time. I, I, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard it here first. This is the first time ever in my whole entire life that I've talked about an album to Charlie other than Fish that he hasn't heard <laughs> from start to finish. So I'm excited. Oh man, now I'm super jammed up for this oh, one. Let's go. <laughs> so am I. Uh, we will be in Rushland the next few days and recording oh, that. And let's... after that episode, we will be putting up a poll of a few more albums from 1981 so we can finish off this month that you'll all get to vote on. Yes, I'm very yeah. excited to see the results of that. There's some super cool ones out there, so... Get out there, vote it up. Where do we have that? We have that up on Facebook? Not yet. Not after, yet, that's right. After the Rush episode, we will do that, but... We will. We will shortly after, or maybe a bit before it's up so we have some time to that's... not, like, half-ass the album and give it the same love and care that we're, we've given hard promises. No, most definitely. Most definitely. As we'll give every album. Oh, well, yeah, not that length. Oof. Well. Yeah. So... Right. Yes, I'm, I'm excited to see how that one will turn out. But in the meantime, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it, especially on Spotify. We're hosting it through them, through their platform, and it's pretty cool. So that would be the best place to subscribe, I think, because we can add in some more exclusive features for you if you do that. But we are also available on Amazon Music, Audible, and Stitcher. And Google Podcasts. So be sure to check us out. Thank you all for the support so far. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Turntables and Tea Podcast. Until next time, where you can join us in our moving pictures. We'll see you then. Peace.